Welcome to episode number two of the End User Computing Podcast. I'm your host, Dane Young, and with me we have a very full house. I'm very excited to have so many guests and co-hosts on the line with me. Um, so uh, I'll go through introductions in just a minute. Um, but for those of you that are just tuning in, uh, my name is Dane Young. You can find me on Twitter at YoungTech. Uh, we have done one other podcast, uh, podcast episode number one. You can find that online at eucpodcast.com. Uh, click to subscribe in either iTunes or your favorite RSS reader of choice. So, um, so with me I have a number of different hosts and we've got a lot of exciting things to talk to you about. Uh, we've got about an hour or so for this podcast, so I want to jump right into it. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and we'll do some introductions and everybody shout out your uh, Twitter handle so people can find you on Twitter uh, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Alex Johnson, go go ahead. Okay, Alexander Johnson, you can find me at uh, Ervic on Twitter. Yep, that's E-R-V-I-K. Yep, that's correct. Go ahead, Andy Wood. Is this working? Is this on? Oh, it's broken. You're on. <laughs> I can't hear you. Yeah, yes, no, I know that. Can you? No, yes, no, yes. no. Yes. yes. <laughs> so how does it not come up with my face anymore? That's annoying, isn't it? Mm, British. <laughs> Some say that's a feature. Uh, there you go. And, and how, do people, how do people find you on Twitter? Uh, well, they don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> I'm Gilwood underscore CS. All right, Gilwood underscore CS. Uh, Barry Coombs, go ahead. Uh, good evening all, this is Barry Coombs uh, on Twitter, Virtualized Real, virtualizedreality.com is my blog. Very cool. Chris Rogers? Uh, Citrix Jedi and stuff. And stuff. Claudio, glad you could join us. You guys can find me on Twitter at uh, crod, C-R-O-D. Claudio is the man, I'm glad he could join this call. Dwayne, go ahead. Hi there, uh, dlink7 on Twitter and itbloodpressure.com uh, is the blog. Thanks, everyone. Very cool. Mike Nelson? Uh, Nell Media on Twitter and uh, everywhere else in the world. Everywhere else. All right. I guess I, guess I just need to Google that. Uh, Steve? Hey there, Steve Greenberg at Steve Greenberg on Twitter. <laughs> of course, it's so obvious to me. <laughs> that was easy. That was easy. So, um, so we got a lot of things to talk about today. Uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, before we jump into those, um, I've asked uh, Steve Greenberg to give a little bit of a recap from uh, last month's episode, uh, episode number one. So, Steve, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell the listeners what we talked about last time? And again, you guys can find that online eucpodcast.com and click to subscribe uh, and you can find that episode. Go ahead, Steve. 
Hey, Dane, it was a great discussion. I actually went back and listened to it, too. It was even better than I thought. Uh, a couple of key points where we talked about as a team, everyone kind of agreed, when you look at end-user computing, virtualization stacks, whatever, however you're delivering it, you have to be aware of every part of the chain, every piece of the stack. You have to assure performance and scaling at storage, CPU, memory, applications. And a, a thing that came out that we all see, which was real interesting, is we see very often that customers go out and buy thin clients and they're not sized properly. So you could get the whole back end right, but if you don't get it to the actual end user device correctly, you have problems. Another key theme was that it's kind of a new benchmark of performance. People have SSDs in their laptops. They have GPUs. And so what they expect today is much higher, and it's growing very fast. And Thomas had a lot of good input on uh, GPUs. We also covered convergence and hyperconvergence, where the layers of the stack are coming together in products that are kind of in a complexity that we've all dealt with as consultants and implementers of the many different pieces of architecture. Very cool. All right, so in terms of um, news and announcements, I got a couple things I want to share with you guys. Um, for anybody that's uh, been tracking the space, uh, you probably know that there are some uh, massive launches happening at, at VMware right now, and last week was was pretty monumental. Um, number of new products that shipped uh, last week. Uh, of course, these were announced um, in the 28 days of VMware um, over the last you know month or so. Um, but really exciting stuff is going on, and lots of good content that's out there uh, in terms of uh, VMware products. Um, the first and foremost, of course, I want to release, uh, announce, or talk about is um, the next release of their flagship product, uh, vSphere 6. Um, for anybody that's been tracking this for some time, uh, vSphere 6 has been in uh, private alphas and betas and, and all kinds of stuff uh, over the last couple years uh, or year or so. Um, and probably one of the biggest things um, that, that interests end-user computing guys like me are a couple things, um, including Virtual SAN, uh, which has you know probably the second uh, release of Virtual SAN. Uh, it's now vSAN 6. Uh, how they do that with the numbering, I'm not sure how they pull that off, but it's uh, pretty convenient to go from a 1.0 product to a 6.0 product right off the gate. Um, but uh, also uh, the vGPU technology from NVIDIA is now shipping as part of the, uh, the vSphere 6 technology. So very exciting stuff. Uh, I'll be at uh, NVIDIA's conference later this week called the GPU Tech Conference in San Jose and there's going to be all kinds of content that VMware is putting out uh, in terms of vGPU and Horizon and vSphere 6 and all kinds of goodies. Um, any other uh, noteworthy uh, releases that dropped last week that you guys want to talk about? Uh, there was uh, also obviously the release of Horizon 6.1 uh, alongside vSphere 6 to make use of the vGPU technology. There's Very also good. some uh, some nice updates in that as well. The cloud pod architecture that's part of uh, Horizon 6 that allows you to connect <coughs> multiple uh, Horizon environments together previously was only a command line utility. Uh, that's now part of the graphical user interface, which uh, makes it a lot more user friendly, um, as well as a, a number of other uh, improvements in there just around sort of 
general stability, scaling, supporting 2012 R2 as an operating system for desktops, um, right. USB redirection for RDSs, as, as well as a number of other things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. There, there were so many new features in uh, 6.1 that it almost seems like it shouldn't be a dot release, maybe a 6.5 or, or some other major type of release, but to see them drop it as a 6.1 was kind of interesting to me. I think it's a pretty big release. A lot of new functionality is is there, um, so definitely uh, keep your eyes on that in the industry. Definitely, and I think from a, from a VMware perspective, the vGPUs are a big thing. Citrix have been hitting VMware with that for a long time. Citrix have obviously been able to support <laughs> that for a long time now. No matter where I've been going talking about VMware technologies, that's the thing, no matter whether the customer needs well, as, as we discussed last time, everybody needs GPU, but that was the thing that every single customer all of a sudden needed vGPU. So uh, I think that's been long overdue from VMware side of things. It'll be, it'll be an interesting thing to see how Citrix raises its game now that there's more competition in that area. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I must add to the uh, mix that this is version 1.0, right? Of the vGPU stuff from from uh, VMware, so yeah. Citrix is probably better at some at this point in time. Um, you know, it's evolution; it will happen. So everybody will have it, even Hyper-V sometime. So it, it isn't indeed, but but also, what what I think is interesting is, up until this release, there was no conversation. If you wanted it, then it was a a Zen desktop play. Yeah, that's true. even for a version one, and, and we talked about this la uh, last time in in episode one. Sometimes, sometimes good enough is indeed good enough, yep. and just because it's a version one product doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be able to achieve what it is that you need it to do. Um, so you know, Citrix is going to have to, in my opinion, Citrix is going to have to differentiate faster, quicker, <laughs> higher, faster, stronger. Yeah. And I think what we've been seeing um, recently is obviously VMware trying to stay ahead via acquisition now. We've seen the Amidio purchase uh, around right. sort of persona management in February. We saw cloud volumes uh, last year coming now as part of app volumes. So they're, they're making sure that they are staying ahead and, and being able to put ticks in the box that, that maybe Citrix can't. Although at the moment, obviously, they, they are kind of separate bolt-on products. You, you could maybe use some of those technologies with Citrix as well. Um, but VMware are, are keen to make uh, people aware that they're serious in this industry and uh, they, they don't want to be falling behind what maybe some of the others are doing. Hey, Barry, this okay. is Steve. Do, do we know that those are going to remain standalone products or do they become exclusive to Horizon View? Uh, as far as I understand it at the moment, they are kind of billing them as, as products still to be used uh, as open products. Um, and I think we've seen that a little bit recently. They, if we look at Horizon Workspace, they uh, included uh, the ability to publish Zen app applications on that. And uh, the messaging that I certainly have is VMware are, are very keen to be able to tell their own story. Um, but equally, they want to be the part of everybody's world in the, in the cloud world. So uh, it, it's about hybrid. It's about multiple vendors. Um, and I think in end user computing, they're not going to be there for every battle. So uh, I think having an open platform with some of these pieces of software, particularly within their management stack, uh, gives them another kind of avenue to go down as well. Dwayne here. Oh. Uh, go, ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Dwayne. I've been working with Horizon DAS, and I know from a GPU perspective, uh, it definitely can be used. There's just no nice UI. It's just a separate <laughs> add-on for it. But yeah. I think 
I think anything's going to be better than, you know, VSGA, so it's like, it's a thumbs up in my mind, even if it's 1.0. But wait a second, VMware guys get really defensive when you attack VSGA. It's such a great product. <laughs> I uh, don't want to do a, you know, whip out a spreadsheet and try to figure out <laughs> if I have the right codex and directex and try to juggle things around, so it's a, it's a win-win. Yeah. So, so two more, um, and we can dive into these a little bit later. I want to kind of wrap up the review section, but um, it's interesting to note a couple of 1.0 launches uh, that happened last week. Uh, one that may be of interest to some guys that are working in more private cloud type of scenarios, and that's uh, VMware Integrated OpenStack uh, released a 1.0 product. Um, but to this audience, probably more interesting is uh, Flex, which I think anybody that's uh, touched VMware Ace at any point in their careers uh, would be very interested and in, in keen to touch Flex and see how that uh, that particular product um, addresses some of the BYO of Mac and, and Windows devices um, in a little bit different way than uh, Ace ever did. Um, so more to come on that, um, just as a technologist, um, I'm very keen on the uh, VMware Software Manager that they released, <laughs> which is probably a long time coming. But the basic concept is make it easier to get the VMware bits, um, because as we all know, with all of their different products, it's become very kludgy and, and convoluted and, and challenging to download all of the different product updates when they come available. So I'm pretty excited about the Software Manager as well. This is uh, Mike. I just want to throw in I'm. You know, the main complaint that I've had for a while is that they finally got around to rebranding everything to this uh, crappy Be Realize name. <laughs> um, and I think that's going to be the worst mistake that they've made marketing-wise, and people are going to stand up and bitch about that because it's, it's ridiculous, you know. Anyways, um, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm an automation guy, so, you know, the orchestrator release, which basically was just a rebranding, um, not much there, you know, API integration with ServiceNow and a couple other things, but there really wasn't a lot of change there. Mm -hmm. I will say that the Power CLI, huge change, huge, 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 huge. Um, something we've been waiting for for years is that Power CLI is now a module and not a snap-in. Um, it's no longer a pain in the ass to use. Um, so from an automation standpoint, you know, they added something like 60, 60 new commandlets, a lot of it around... NSX and around around uh, um, B-Balls and B-SAN and all that kind of good stuff. But, um, you know, it's a, from an automation standpoint, the orchestrator, um, I haven't looked at B-Cloud uh, and what they're doing there with that yet, but I've already loaded the orchestrator and the, the Power CLI, and so far, like I said, not much change on the orchestrator side, but the Power CLI stuff really rocks. I was pleased to see that they've now included Mirage uh, in with the PowerCLI options yep. as well. So yep. uh, certainly the end user computing stuff has sometimes in the past lacked on the PowerCLI. So it's, it's good to see that some more of it's coming through. And we all love PowerShell and automation. So definitely makes our lives easier.
Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into the primary topic uh, for for today's show uh, or episode. Um, and we started uh, last week or last month's uh, episode number one talking about infrastructure and um, all the stuff that goes in the data center to make uh, end-user computing work. Um, Want to move the conversation up the stack a little bit and uh, talk about operation uh, operating system management strategies and the different technologies that are employed by a lot of different organizations out there, kind of the evolution of how that came to be and um, where we're going, where we've been, and the different technologies that are available today. Um, so I'll, I'll let, um, let's see, Andy Wood, I think I'll let Andy Wood talk about um, kind of the history of operating system management approaches. Um, I know you know, my early starting career, there was a lot of light touch and batch scripting uh, to get different things automated. But Andy, why don't you go ahead and give us the uh, the genesis of operating system management strategies? Genuinely, what did I do to you? Did I lose the competition at the beginning of the entire <laughs> podcast? Yeah, sorry, you got the short straw. You go for one bio break and suddenly you get you're like voted to do the most boring piece of the entire podcast. Oh, thank you it's, very much. It's thank not boring to me. Much. I'd be happy to take it. <laughs> uh, but the challenge is on you to make it not boring. Oh, <laughs> the pressure. The I pressure. Mean, I, think, I think fundamentally there's been an evolvement over time. I remember being at the first... Well, let's do let's do before end user compute. Yeah, you know, let's do let's do desktops themselves. Wasn't always easy. There weren't necessarily the tools. One of the reasons that the WinFrame back in the day was particularly useful was because it was a pain, a pain to to manage a disparate network of individual PCs, where quite often there wasn't a concept of admin access. Now, granted, there wasn't a patch Tuesday. There wasn't even a patch by Tuesday or a, or a patch monthly. There were very rarely patches, but everyone did their own stuff on their own thing. The best you could hope for was a was a standardized build going out, and there were tools to do that. So like your ghost build, standardized images that went out, went out into the environment, and hopefully, hopefully, no one messed around with them. Uh, but you knew darn well that they would, and that you'd have to go and fix them. And the easiest fix was to bring it back to reinstall the operating system and, and have at them again. A nice right. thing about that server-based computing environment was that you could have a more structured uh, process because you could manage that delivery of applications, manage that server environment, and not necessarily care about the endpoint as much. Tools caught up. The ability to manage the, the delivery process of an operating system became uh, not necessarily easy, but more straightforward. It was still clunky, though, still lots of components. Anyone who remembers Microsoft tools for deploying not only operating systems, but applications back in the day, they were complex beasts. There were lots of bits that would fall over or fail to report. It was difficult and tricky. Uh, as time has progressed, services have come into place that allow automated builds over the network. Gold images be have become the thing. And as I say, back at Bryforum, I remember talking about, sorry, so Vision App had automated deployment services so mm -hmm. you could script and build and deliver a, a image across the network. I was using uh, Windows automated deployment services, Windows deployment services to deploy Citrix builds. 
on bare metal uh, back in the day when hypervisors were a strange and exciting thing. And I have progressed that automation. So ultimately, what you want to do is, is get yourself in a position where you script. I, I Mike talks about being the automation guy. You want to automate that process as much as possible. You want to automate the bejesus out of it because you want a consistent and validated environment that you know is going to work. And then ideally, you, you don't want the users to mess about with it. And that's where we're looking to be today for operating systems for desktops. But now, it's not just desktops, is it? We, we talked last week about end-user compute not just being about desktop PCs or server-based computing PCs. Now, there's a whole variety of operating systems that are available. So it's your phone has an operating system. Even that clunky old Nokia has an operating system. Your tablet has an operating system. Your Chromebook has an operating system. How do you manage all of those? Because it's not just about delivering the build. It's about ensuring that everyone has consistent environment so that when you connect end user device A to service B, it works in a consistent manner. Because the last thing you want is for everyone to have their own jailbroken, messed about with, modified stuff in order to connect to your environment. Because that just makes support and the user experience harder. How did that do? I think that did pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I like I like it. Um, hey, Claudio, are you still out there? Do you mind uh, chiming in and yeah, talking yeah. about the evolution as you've seen it? I know you've got a long history in this space. Oh, is yeah. it just the old guys? That's ageist. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I can tell know, you guys man. about my history, but my history is really dumb because I came <laughs> into the space when everything was easy. <laughs> What I'm seeing is really, uh, I don't know, we are kind of getting back to, to what it was before. Yep. And the reason why I say that is, if you look back, everything was unmanaged, and then everything was managed, and then we got into the BY, you know, anything, and then things apparently started to get better, and people were happy, and now I can give you, a, like, a, my personal perspective on that. A couple weeks ago, I had to join a, a company, not as an employee or anything, but as someone that is almost like an internal resource of some sort. Contractor. So I have an email address and everything. And yep. then they use something to deliver like the, the email system they use and all that crap on your phone. And I was like, okay, sure, I can use my phone and apparently they support it. So I connect. And then all of a sudden, like, they start enforcing policies on my phone. I don't know, it's supposed to be a BY my own phone, and, and now I'm locked, and I have policies, I, I have profiles on my phone, so if I'm at home, the phone doesn't lock. If I'm at work, the phone locks. Yeah. And I want all these things to work properly. And because of these policies coming from IT that allow me to bring my phone, I told them, screw this, like, you're going to give me a full phone. I, I prefer to carry two phones than having my personal device with all this junk enforced. Yep, exactly. So really, like, uh, I don't know if we are really seeing everything going towards a world where we can manage everything or we want to manage everything or if we really need to find some sort of, uh, you know, medium hep term between like uh, Wild West and BYOD because right now man like 
honestly, after using BYOD for all these years, I hate it. And I hate it because people are enforcing all this garbage on me. So, well, that, and potentially that is an interesting thing. If we take, so, PC land back, back in the day where everyone wanted to, where there was a desire to try and manage it in order to make deployment of stuff easier, if you took it back a bit further than that, where everyone was on shared systems and they had terminals back into the environment, they had a very tightly managed environment, they had a very tightly managed system and they had to pay for their compute time and they didn't really like that so they all bought PCs. But then organizations realized that having everyone doing their own thing was costly and expensive so they attempted to manage it. And I think we're in a, in a similar shift again. Everyone doesn't want a, a number of users don't necessarily want to have to have a very locked down environment um, as you uh, as you have bizarrely not sworn at once, which is very unlike you, Claudia. <laughs> it's very impressive. Um, no one wants that uh, restriction, so they bring in their own devices and they bring in their own stuff in order to let them get on with their work. Because ultimately, people will want to do a job. Um, it's interesting to see this whole cycle come around again, just with a wider range of devices. And to Claudia's point because it's a wider range of devices, I don't think we're ever going to catch up. And there's a, there's a point where you say, let's let's accept and see if we can see if we can manage it in a way that is that is helpful to the business in terms of IP protection and content, but helpful to the users in terms of flexibility. I I think as an industry, we're trying to get to a point where we can do just the applications. It always becomes a bit hard because Windows is so old. It's Got so much legacy, but you know, um, Claudio mentioned uh, ThinApp in the in the crowd chat. And that was kind of like it had such great potential because it was stripping away the need for the operating system to a certain degree. But uh, now we've kind of come back. But myself personally, I don't ever, even when I was an operations guy, I didn't really give two licks about the the OS so much. But um, I don't who outside of maybe PBS and maintaining the golden image, I don't know what people are doing out there to maintain their fleets. Right. Well, but haven't we been having this exact same conversation for 20 years now? I mean, that which was called Metaframe, which was then called Presentation Server, which is now called ZenApp. And then, okay, sure, let's get rid of the OS. You don't need an OS anymore. Deliver any app to any, any place and do your data, do your work. Same conversation. Where are we now? Well, this is where, going back to the history, it is the same conversation. And if you have the problems that Claudio is describing, I think you're doing it wrong. Because if you if you have to give some let somebody bring a device and then mess with it, you're not doing it right. You should be able to give uh, a security separation. So a lot of the environments we build, the internal Wi-Fi is on the outside, right? Bring your device, do what you want. If We're going to lock down all the policies. We're going to lock down virtual channels if you're on the outside, and they make it too hard. But going back to the image and OS management, I think, um, to me, the big gorilla in the room is Microsoft. I mean, yep. we've had these different options over the years, you know, running around ghosting or multicasting ghost or Altiris. But Microsoft has creeped in and pushed System Center into pretty much the stack of every product. It's kind of like when they bundled the browser with the OS. You know, if you want to do certain... If you want to do Zen Desktop, you need System Center Virtual Machine Manager. Well, to buy that, you have to buy the whole stack. So where I go now, it's everybody's just kind of defaulting to System Center. 
and I think it is going back to an older way of doing things. Um, but it, but the cycles are going around, and Microsoft's exerting tremendous pressure. What I think gets lost is some of the cool innovations that came out of you know VDI and SBC, like PVS, for example. You know, streamed images, read-only images. A big, big part of the special sauce in our projects is AppV, is virtualizing at the app layer, so you can make that separation. And I feel like we are going a little bit backwards. I forgot who said that and not necessarily taking those innovations and pushing them forward, where the OS should matter less and less. I, I've I think, got to admit, no, I'll well, let you go, Barry, and then I'll jump in. I, I think from my side, as you're saying there around Microsoft, that, that's kind of, um, we're, we're seeing a lot of system center out there, partic uh, particularly in the education standpoint, where they almost get that stack for, for free. Um, and the education establishments that I'm working with are, are jumping all over the system center. But uh, obviously working more with um, uh, VMware customers, um, Mirage is included in quite a lot of their stack. And, and we've had real successes with using Mirage, not just to manage the physical desktop estate out of there, and uh, particularly around sort of Windows XP to Windows 7 migrations, the fact that it's working at a per block level to uh, save quite a lot of time, the users are still uh, able to remain on their machines while we're doing the upgrades and they don't lose their data, etc. But also then using Mirage to manage our golden images and, and those base layers. And then going back uh, to what we were talking about earlier with how do, do we need to manage Chromebooks, what happens when the users, I'm very much with you, Steve, that we're doing something wrong. If we're having to secure someone's personal device, we need to be securing the data at the, the data layer or the application layer rather than imposing policies upon uh, an end user's device that they're bringing into the business. Yeah, and I, I think VMware had this vision a couple years back, and the execution wasn't that great from a, a mobile device perspective. Um, with Switch, if anybody remembers Switch. Um, so I, I think there's been a lot of discussion about the whole carry two devices because you never want your employer being able to lock down your your personally owned device. Um, there's There's been a lot of talk about that, not a whole lot of action about that, and that's something that I think we could do better as an industry. Um, the other aspect is, you know, when you look at, like, type 2 hypervisors and different management products that are out there to help in the type 2 hypervisor for BYOD and I mentioned Flex earlier in this conversation and Citrix has, has been struggling to get their product to market but desktop player for Mac is there. <clears throat> desktop player for Windows is, has been coming for quite some time. I don't know when that's ever going to happen but you know the, the type 2 approach is a nice compromise for guys like Claudio's situation where he's a contractor, he's not a full-time employee, he doesn't want the employer managing and, and getting access to all the stuff on his personally owned devices, but he needs to create some level of isolation between the bubble network that the employer is allowed to be in and his personal network that, that he's in. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of good technologies out there that can help. I just don't think that we're at that point in the industry where there's a real cohesive solution for how one goes about this on all the different device types and platforms. Um, I think the industry is evolving, but I don't think it's there yet. Anyone else? Well, it's hard to say. Like, uh, if I can just uh, you know compliment, it's hard to say how how much more we can actually do. And you know, the the problem at the end of the day is legal, right? Like, one thing is on my PC, I can certainly run a VM that someone provided. Okay, that all all good. Like, I. 
and then they can do whatever they want on the VM. That's all fine. But how you, you know, how you control and coexist with, uh, you know, the the personal preferences. Like I don't want my PC to, for example, lock the screen and and I have to type a password every single time. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want my the phone is the worst case I think, because the PC, yeah. as I said, you can do a VM and you can sort of hide some of the garbage, but on the phone, there is no other way around. The phone, like you don't want the guy if, if the person is somewhere, you must enforce, let's say, a a passcode to unlock the phone. But as I said, what if I don't want that? Like uh, I, I think those kind of things can be overcome by, by technologies like AirWatch where you're not using the inbuilt mail app, you're using a dedicated mail app for the secure mail where separate policies can be uh, directed directly to that application layer rather than having to rely on the phone being the secure area, the application is the secure area. Yeah, but um, this goes beyond the application, like the problem here is not the application because you yeah. have to control the device. Like the device has to be, you know, locked at all times. For example, it has nothing to do with the application. But when anyone to unlock the device, can no, I shoot no. in something? Uh, I, I hear exactly what Claudio is saying. It's Alex here. Uh, this is a matter of of uh, the privacy policy, which are enhanced. Uh, it's different from country to country. I know Canada, and Norway, it's similar. Uh, other EU countries, uh, I know the US has their policies, but the, it all comes down to if you as a user want your company to at any given time know where your device is at. And you know, some countries that's not allowed. You can't sign up for something, uh, you can't enforce the employee to actually say, yes, I want the managed device. And I know uh, it's uh, hard for Citrix with Send Mobile and AirWatch from VMware to ex- accept that, because they are definitely trying to give us better tools to manage stuff. But in the uh, at the end of the day, it's all down to uh, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, you know, uh, a public company, everything is probably allowed as long as you get the employees to sign off on it. In the the um, you know the uh, sector that government and such, it's not that easy. Yeah, the the only thing that I'll add to that is that um, some of the challenges, and I I don't I can't confirm this for sure with AirWatch, but I know with other uh, technologies like Good and anyone anyone else that has a secure mail uh, container for their mobile phones uh, or devices. The challenge is that management of the devices is required in order to get some of those components down to the devices. Now, obviously, it's it's a policy decision within the organization to dictate what they can and can't do. But if the organization says, you will use our secure email container on your mobile phone, and in order to do that, you have to give them rights through their, their device management agent to get control of your device, um, it's it's this real gray area. Um, yeah. I, I would like to say that, that just like um, application publishing over the last 20 years has evolved the industry for Windows apps and desktops, maybe there's a next generation evolution for mobile devices, um, iOS, Android, and everything else like it. Um, 
know, Brian Madden wrote an article a little while ago, um, Are You Ready for Virtual Mobile Infrastructure? And what he talked about in that article was uh, a couple technologies from a couple different companies, including uh, Raytheon, who make uh, application publishing engines for iOS and Android-based applications. Um, so the concept, very similar to ZenApp for Windows apps and desktops, and hopefully in the future, uh, Linux apps and desktops on both the Horizon platform and, and Citrix platform, um, these technologies, virtual mobile infrastructure, as the, the term has been coined, will give us the ability of running that iOS application from a virtualized infrastructure in the data center and streaming that iOS application to look as though it's native but use the bits on the wire for presentation of that application from the data center. I think that has a lot of future, and I actually saw my first use case for that come up this last week. Uh, where a customer is very hot on these technologies and starting evaluation because they don't want to manage the devices, they don't want to manage the applications on the devices, they just want to seamlessly deliver native native applications like iOS and Android as long as they have a network connection to any of these devices. Very interesting use case. I'm I'm interested to see how that evolves. Well, let me throw a monkey wrench into this whole conversation because that's what I do and that's what I love doing. Are, are we having the completely incorrect conversation, the fact that this is a technological problem? And is this more of a process, procedure, and perception problem? Uh, is this a problem where, from the mainframe days to the client-server days, now to the cloud days, where we have this... And again, I'm going to throw something out there, and I know I'm going to get stomped on, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have this incorrect perception of ownership. This is my device. This is my data. And yet, your device and your data, you're putting out to the cloud. Okay, you can't have, you can't have it both ways. So again, <laughs> is, is this a... Well, if I paid for the sh**, it's mine, man. Okay. <laughs> like, don't tell me it's the cloud. The cloud owns my device. I paid for that junk. It's mine. Uh -huh. You totally make my point for you. For me, is is are we as a technological consuming um, people? Uh, uh, are we as technological consumers thinking of it the wrong way? Not forward thinking, not forward looking. We're re we're back looking. We're looking back to our devices, our data, and yet we want to have this cool stuff called cloud. And are the two really compatible? So, like I said, I don't think this is a technological problem. No, I don't. I, I agree with you, Chris. I think we're um, there's better ways to do this, and it's not yours. If you work for a company or you're a consultant, and there's a, a policy that says you can access this, you can't access that. We should just do it. We shouldn't even try to mix the devices if that's the case. If if they're gonna stomp all over Claudio's device, give him a laptop instead, you know, or have a policy. Hey, I can, you can access this from your device, but I'm going to stomp on it. Sign this paper. I think well, we make too much I, out of it. No, I would like. I would like to you think with, you can't go with do it, do it or else on your own device. You, you've got to provide, and it, it, this does go back to policy, and it, it goes back to Chris's point. The policy is either accepting that if you want to use your own device, that's cool, that's fine. Your entire capability will be restricted because yep. if we don't know about your device, if we can't manage it in any way, we'll let you pay Minesweeper and that's it, right? Yep. And if you want extra services and to be able to do your job, 
and yeah. and all of those other things, then you you must give up a little bit of stuff as well, and that it needs to be a two way two way process, not Absolutely. just a, I mean let's manage my... it all either or, and and again, if you don't want to do that with your own device. The company, the organisation, needs to be able to step in and go. Well, if you're not going to do it on your device and, and accept our our requirements, then we must provide you with a device. The flip side of that is, when they provide you with a device, don't complain that it is not a MacBook Air. Yeah, it'll be something clunky <laughs> and it'll be something a bit ridiculous, and you'll have to carry it around in addition to what it is that you've got yourself. Yeah, well, you make some choices, and you take well, and some. That, and that really is that really is the choice, and and you know, uh, much like Claudio, I go to different customers, and 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 they have different requirements, and I just came off a contract where they forced me to carry their old archaic BlackBerry. I'm like, why am I doing yeah, that? Yeah, right like, on. Why am I carrying two devices? No, I don't want a laptop. No, I don't want a BlackBerry. There are capabilities that you can use my device. You can use it in certain ways. You can deliver your data to my device in a secure manner and everybody's happy. No, we can't do that. You know, it violates government security standards. Okay, whatever. I think the thing that fixes all this is do you want to have a job? Have a device or be fired? <laughs> Good call. If yep. you don't want a job, don't take the device. <laughs> Very cool. So, um, so let's, uh, let's talk about where things are in the space today uh, and just for the sake of the conversation, keeping a little bit uh, more focused, let's stick to uh, Windows apps and desktops, um, and let's talk about the different technologies, um, advantages and disadvantages that we're seeing in the space. Uh, and I know we've got Dwayne on the line from uh, Nutanix, although he's not sponsored by Nutanix, but he can uh, share some of his perspectives uh, on shadow clones. But uh, who, who would like to... Um, Take a discussion on link clones, provisioning services, machine creation services. Who can summarize those types of technologies in five minutes or less? I can. Go for it, Andrew. I think the difficulty with all of those technologies, with PVS and with MCS, is they give you they give you an easy deployment method. PVS slight slightly more easy and, and slightly more easy, I think, than MCS, but they give you an easy deployment method. What they don't do is give you a structured method of getting that base image in. A common mistake with PVS or MCS deployments is to think that because you can create a version that you are in some way, shape, or form managing the desktop. If you haven't built in a structured way and understand in a structured way what it is that you did before you deploy with MCS, before you deploy with PVS, then inherently you've got a You've got a service out there, a system out there that may not be rebuilt and has stuff in that you don't quite understand. Cool. Uh, full so stop. Period. As as I believe the Americans say. So I think I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll just give a high level overview of how uh, mm -hmm. the different technologies work. I, Actually, oh, you wanted was, that? Oh no, I, I know. I just wanted to go off on a rant about uh, <laughs> people not managing their images, probably. Well, uh, my, but my I've, favorite. I've done that. Thanks very much. Away you go. <laughs> Away you go. Yeah. My favorite is probably the uh, the Brightform slide deck that uh, Jim Moyle uses, where he shows the architecture, provisioning services, and stream from the network, and all this fun stuff. And then he goes to the next slide, which is the architecture of machine creation services, and he has one big fat line in the middle that says, "This slide intentionally left blank." <laughs> 
and that's about the difference of provisioning services to machine creation services, and even link clones for that matter. Um, basically, provisioning services, and this goes back to my entree into IT from when I was in education and used the product formerly known as Ardents. We had computer labs where we had uh, servers that we'd stand up in the corner that would set all of the devices in these computer labs to boot from network, and then we would have an image, a gold image as we called it, uh, on the provisioning server, and all of those devices that were booting from network would pull the image from the provisioning server in the corner, and it was our way of getting around some of the other pain that we didn't like so much um, with Deep Freeze, if anybody remembers uh, that fun company, um, and having to lock down the devices so that every time they rebooted, they would go back to a good working state. So provisioning services at its fundamentals is a boot from network, pixie type of scenario where the images stream down. Machine creation services is more of a provisioning model where the images are, are created from a master virtual machine on an infrastructure, VMware, uh, Zen server, Hyper-V, whatever it may be. And it, it falls more in line with VMware's link clones. Um, and the only piece that uh, I feel has been missing in the Citrix stack over the years, and we've been asking for it, uh, as anybody that works for a storage vendor would know, is the ability in Citrix to create full clone desktops, uh, very similar to what is available in Horizon, where you specify your template, you specify a customization specification, and then say, go create me 500 desktops, and it uses built-in APIs within the hypervisor to clone out those desktops. I really wish it was there. It's not there. So instead, many of us resort to all kinds of scripts, including PowerCLI, Power to clone out those desktops and customize them using full clones. Um, anyone want to dive into why somebody would want a full clone versus a linked clone? I, I can start the journey on that one. Generally, it, it depends on the greater requirement for the user. Uh, one often requirement is around licensing. Um, maybe there is uh, something tied to the individual machine configuration in some way, whether that's host name, whether that's MAC address, uh, wh whether that's uh, an, an activation code or something like that, and being able to delete or, or renew that application isn't easily done. Maybe it's something around the nature of the way their application is written, where the data is going to be stored uh, within that desktop. Um, and how they're going to be using that desktop, which means that treating it as if it was a physical PC but in the virtual world would be the right, right way to go. But then that whole operating system management becomes even more important because instead of managing that one golden image and then reprovisioning the pool, you're then having to treat it like a physical desktop and, and manage it uh, as such with patches, uh, deploying out uh, updates, and so on and so forth. Yep. I think also bear in mind... <coughs> Uh, go ahead, Alex. I think you were first up. Yeah, you were. Oh, maybe you weren't. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I think it kind of depends, like, the journey of where you get started. If you are horrible at physical desktops, I kind of have, a, like, a strong inkling that you might be down the link clone path because, it, you know, you could easily deploy off this, this one image. But I don't know if that... You kind of run into your own problems trying to maintain that sucker, but... Um, <clears throat> I think the full clones, the one benefit that I see is you could use your traditional deployment tools with full clones, and most storage technologies today have enough smarts that can kind of get around from the 
the impact on storage. The only thing that you can avoid today is the, the cost that it takes to maintain the desktop from a CPU perspective. Like even if you have the fastest storage in the world when you boot your desktop, it's still going to take CPU. So there's still an impact on maintaining right. your apps. Yep. Indeed. Let's, let's not forget that in order to go to PVS, you've got the infrastructure that PVS requires. In order to go to MTS, all right, it's a little bit easy, but either way, you can't just lift and shift existing images into that environment easy. With MCS, you've got to start again. Um, and in each of them, with MCS, with PVS, and with link clones that, that VMware has, all of them, all of them have a write filter. All of them take a hit when they're doing write activity. So potentially you're impacting the performance of that environment by using that method. If you've got a full clone, and you can accommodate the storage using you know, whatever back-end storage technologies. Some are absolutely marvelous. I work for one vendor that does it. But if, you can, if you can have a full clone, then you've not got that right filter in place, and you can, you can improve the performance of that desktop because you're not taking that hit of having to write, to read from one location and write to another. That right filter is not in place. But the, the, surely the consideration then needs to be how often you're going to be doing the updates, when you're going to be doing the updates to those desktops, um, making sure they're not happening all at the same time. If, I mean, if you're sending down a, a, a gigabyte update to each of those, and, unless I suppose that depends on what the storage is doing on the back end and how much it's going to be able to deduplicate that effort. And, and indeed, whether it is optimized. I mean, the interesting thing with a full clone environment is that from a management perspective, and let's, you know, let's go back to talking about OS management, from a management perspective, if you have full clones, you manage them in exactly the same way as your desktops. And as we discussed last week, most organizations are going to have an environment that encompasses not just server-based computing, not just uh, a VDI, but standard desktops as well. If you can simplify the management of that environment, then that is a better thing than having VDI managed in one way and physical desktops managed in another. Why not just manage everything in the self-same way? Because ultimately it's about making your life easier, consistent user experience, easy user experience. I think there's also a point when you start go when you go through that pain to get to a link clone desktop, a non-persistent desktop, you're also getting to the point where you're making the desktops disposable, which has certain advantages to it. Because if we're saying that each person has a dedicated desktop, we're attaching some worth of that desktop to that user. So as well as understanding how we're going to patch it and maintain it, we also need to understand how we're going to protect it. What happens if, if that image does corrupt? How are we going to restore that image? Do we need to be backing up that link clone at that time? Now, th that is all possible with technologies like, like Mirage, but it does add a certain overhead as well. So you've got to kind of understand what works for you, and, and it might be a mix. It might be that inside your organization, it probably is inside your organization, you do have users where link clones will just work, where that is the simpler way to manage it, where having that single image to manage will work. Then you will have other users where it's just not worth the pain to go down the route of trying to put them on a link clone, non-persistent desktop, um, so, so you do want to give them a full clone, and you will use technologies like Mirage or SDCM or something like that to manage those uh, images, but also you'll then need to protect them, make sure that if the worst does happen, you can recover what is making that desktop so special to that user. Hey, Barry, the, I, I agree with that. It's really just a set of different tools that are available to you, and you've got to choose the right one. But I do have to s defend the much maligned PVS because everyone characterizes the infrastructure is so complicated. It's really not. I think that's way overblown. The advantages, as Dane described, 
of streaming, you know, pristine images from one place to many has great advantages. Obviously, you have to use it where it's appropriate, but I think that we're still sort of looking back, looking forward. We want a dynamic situation. We want to not worry about all that. Layering has a lot of potential to handle that. Um, and what we've been doing for a long time with AppV and other app virtualization, sliding the apps in above a standard OS. So I agree with the concept that it's a bunch of tools, but I think we should also push the envelope forward where the whole thing can be more dynamic and layered and, you know, yeah. configurable. I think the, the decision tree is do you have to print or not? And then you kind of you go from there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, wow, Dwayne, thank you for boiling it down to so simple terms. <laughs> to, your point, to your point, I mean, if you look at it um, from a layering, when you talk about layering, I mean, you know, even companies like Mocha 5 have been doing that for years. You know, that was the whole basis of how Mocha 5 got going. But also, to your other point, PBS got a really bad rap when it started. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers desktop server. When it was, that was the, the one dot, Oh, of PBS, which was just, you know, crap. Um, but it got a lot of bad press, not only that, but because it wasn't, you know, when it came out of the gate, it took a lot of resources. It took, a, you know, a, a, a bunch of administration tasks that nobody wanted to do. You know, was, to, to put it bluntly, the, the, pa the package, the entire package was kind of a pain in the ass to manage. So I think that, you know, it, it's kind of matured, but people haven't caught up to that yet. That's a good point. That's true of all the technologies, right? Yeah. If you give it time, you can't judge it on its early performance. Well, look at Vue. Look at Vue. If you judge Vue on what 4.0 and 4.5 was, nobody would be using it. Yeah. Hey, no, if, you, if, you, if, you if you judge Windows on what Windows has always been, um, you could say the same thing. Hey, 3.1 was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a saying: if you're not embarrassed of your first product, then uh, you you came too late. So yeah, exactly, yeah, you didn't exactly. ship soon enough. Yeah, cool. Well, at least we could print from Windows 3.1 and not Windows <laughs> 4 or 4 or 5. Hey, we don't make printers. Windows Back to that printing. Can we just get rid of printers altogether? No, Anytime anybody no, requires me no. to print, I freak we'll out. Save some trees, God. man. We can yeah. do a secure faxing. Stop the <laughs> a whole print shebang. <laughs> it wouldn't cool. be an easy compute conversation if there wasn't printing. I, I personally thought we'd last out to more than episode two, but hey, there you go. <laughs> too late. Yeah, too late. Well, cool. I think uh, we've had a lot of really good discussions on here. We've touched on, I think, just about any and every idea and concept around uh, image management uh, strategies and operating system management strategies. We've certainly talked about server-based computing, virtual desktop infrastructure, intelligent desktop virtualization, some of the type 2 hypervisor uh, mirage type of approaches. Um, I think the future uh, is, oddly enough for me to say this, going to be more of the same and more of different. Uh, I think there's some different technologies that are out there that are starting to come to market that are taking a little bit different spin on this whole operating system management strategies, but I think Steve nailed it. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see Microsoft at the forefront of a lot of this stuff because for the most part it's their operating system and 
you know, they lead the charge and other people uh, conform and adopt uh, what they're doing in terms of OS management. So definitely some good stuff. Um, so uh, last time I introduced a segment uh, that we call Ask the EUC Expert segment. Uh, we haven't had any questions come in yet, so I'll keep that going and keep that open in case there's anybody else uh, that comes in. Also had uh, our friend in the space, uh, Eric Halverstein, uh, ZenApp blog, started a new podcast called the Ask Eric podcast. So if you have any questions you want to ask Eric, um, you can do it that way. Otherwise, we have the, uh, the web form set up. Um, one last thing before we wrap up. Are there any additional thoughts? Uh, I'm going to go around the room, as it were, and uh, just one last thought on this topic of operating system management strategies. And uh, why don't you go ahead, Alex? I think we covered the, the basics of it. Uh, you know, uh, as Claudia put it, SCCM sucks, and it will probably suck for a long time coming. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's tying their products into SACM, so we will probably, as you mindly reminded us in your wrap-up uh, speech, uh, we will see a lot of the same uh, crap <laughs> in the years to come. Uh, and yeah, who knows? Maybe Microsoft has some something up their sleeve with uh, Windows 10 and all that stuff going on. Uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting five years. So you saved your final thought to say the SCCM sucks. I think that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and now three other people can't say that. <laughs> if there's one thing we want to leave our listeners with, it's that SCCM sucks. That's that's awesome, Alex. Thank you for that. Uh, Andy, go ahead. Um, I would say that we're seeing a variety of methods of of managing environments and managing operating systems. Still, it's interesting that SCCM is so prevalent, in part because it's given away, in part because it's seen as the only way, and yet there are many different, still different technologies that allow you to manage your operating systems for a Windows environment. Uh, I've been working with uh, Jim Moyle, actually, on some interesting lifecycle management stuff that Citrix is promoting. All of those vendors will find it difficult while Microsoft maintains its hold on SCCM for Windows. It'll be interesting to see how other operating systems uh, are brought into that environment and how organizations, Citrix included, can take delivery of that operating system not just to your own environment but out into the cloud, expand it out and contract it in as need be. Very cool. Barry? Uh, I think from my side it's uh, just uh, making sure that you're thinking of your users, understanding the use case and, and how their, their desktops are going to work for them and that will help you un uh, underline how you're going to be managing those images. Ulti ultimately remember you're probably going to have uh, both physical desktops and virtual desktops so understand how you can have a single strategy for managing the uh, operating system on both of those and patching them and keeping them up to date for minimal ease and, and uh, a way that's going to work for your users. Uh, just a quick question on that before we wrap up that thought. I know that's been a long discussion for the whole persistent versus non-persistent debate. Just a quick poll for everybody on the phone and we'll go, go through this. How many times are you seeing that those uh, are being managed by the same teams within in an organization? And how many times are you seeing that those are, are different teams? I know everybody's going to give the consultant answer of it depends, but just if you had to generalize and say 
it's managed by the same team or it's managed by different teams, how many would say that physical are managed or not managed by the same teams and therefore the same strategy is either required or not? Alex? You ask, can everybody just uh, yell it out or what? Sure. Why not? <laughs> different. <laughs> totally different. Totally different. Yeah, different too. Yeah. Different. 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 Cool. And, and Dane, that, if I could add, that's the problem, is that we're still in this choppy world of how to do things, drawing right. it different ways of doing it. Organizations don't come together and go, what's our strategy? How are we going right. to do it? I think, that's the, I think that's the best one. Everyone would like to have a, as few strategies as possible. Granted, <laughs> every strategy is, is a great strategy up until it gets put into the field, yeah? But everyone wants to have a single strategy. And, and wherever you deploy... MCS desktops, PVS desktops, linked clones, wherever you deploy something else, you start adding complexity and difficulty, and everyone would yeah. like to, that to removed. Thanks and I think if, if we're talking about EUC, we need to be standardizing, whether that's physical or virtual, it doesn't matter. We need to be given the same user experience. We need to be thinking about the users, what they're doing when they get on the device, and how they're working in that environment. If that's managed by two different teams in two different ways, then we're never going to achieve that. And it's right. got to become holistic. For decades, the, the server guys, the Citrix guys, became the people in charge of apps because they knew how to. It's got to become part of the culture and part of yep. the strategy and part of the training and the way things are deployed. So in yep. other words, you have to change people's perception. <gasps> oh, look at that. Good yeah, luck. Yeah. It's it's it needs to stop being the server yeah. guy or the desktop guy. It needs to be the EUC guy. Be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Or alternatively, stop making this shit up as you go along. <laughs> uh, Barry, I already asked you for last thoughts. So, uh, Chris, anything else? I am a simple man with a simple opinion. I look forward to the day that we don't have the, the operating system discussion anymore. Is that five years? Is that 20 years? I don't know. I hope it's sooner rather than later. It's coming, but it's going to be a hard road getting there. <clears throat> Very cool. Claudio? Well, man, I don't care. As long as they keep paying me so I can keep the land on the road, <laughs> that's all I care. I don't give a shit at the end of the day. As long as you can put fuel in the Lambo, you're good. That's it, man. <laughs> all right, cool. Dwayne? Uh, kind of on Barry's point, I just, you know, know what you want to do before you kind of go off and start clickety clicking. Definitely. Awesome. Mike? Um, I just want to say that uh, I think that when we first started talking about the announcements from VMware, I think we got some exciting stuff coming out from Mirage and Horizon Workspace. And um, again, automation is king. And uh, I believe that you know if you don't even like SCCM and stuff like that, that's fine. Um, there's always PowerShell, which rocks. Um, and uh, I'd also like to throw out before we get done here a shameless plug for our one of our first uh, female CGPs who has her own podcast as well, Teresa Miller. Yep. Uh, is also uh, got uh, current status podcasts out there as well. Very cool. Thanks, Mike. Yay. Yay. Go ahead, Steve. And one more podcast, the Frontline Chatter with Andy and Jari, and we didn't mention yep. them today. So we nah, we, we already gave them a shout-out last time. I, I met Mike. Those guys rock. Okay, final <laughs> word. Don't be stupid. Look at the tools as options, and don't just grasp. Somebody said just reaching out for something. Look at the tools, what they can do, move forward, simplify things, and look at how you can get organizations to work together within the different departments. That's great. Um, and, and my final thoughts while we wrap up here, 
Uh, all this stuff is really hard, but that's why they call in the experts, and I'm referring to everybody that's our listener and anybody that would consider themselves an EUC guy. Um, this stuff is not easy, whether you work internal or IT organization or you're in consulting or you work for a vendor. This stuff is not easy, but it is a lot of fun. I've definitely enjoyed it in my career and watching the evolution of the OS image management evolve over the last year, uh, last several years has been uh, very exciting and entertaining for me. So thank you all for your time. Uh, thanks for tuning in for those that join live. If you want to join us live next time, uh, we normally have a uh, live stream via YouTube as well as a uh, crowd chat Twitter uh, live chat. Um, and you can just find all of that in one central location, eucpodcast.com. Uh, if you're not on the web during the call, um, then you can always subscribe. We're on iTunes, and we have an RSS reader for any application out there that you're digesting podcasts from. Hashtag on Twitter is EUCpodcast, and you can also find our Twitter profile out there at EUCpodcast. Uh, I'd like to thank all of my hosts today. Uh, this has been a very exciting and entertaining chat. Definitely a lot of us on the line, so thank you for moving the conversation forward, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.